0: Welcome to Holy Ghosting. I'm Meg. I'm Sarai. And Lindsay's out today on assignment. Today we're going to share some really important stories from listeners like you. And we're really honored to hear what they have to say and what they have to share about their journeys of coming out from growing up evangelical and or still being a part of the church when they realized their queerness, when they realized their gender, when they realized their sexuality. And they've been so generous to give us a real insight into what it has been like. You're going to hear four different stories from people who have
1: walked and experienced different lives.
0: We really know that we got a lot out of listening to these stories and interacting with the listeners who were so Courageous to share their stories about growing up in the church and what it has meant for them to come out in their own lives, their relationships with others, their relationships with God, and everybody has a really different experience to share.
1: These are stories and experiences from people that sat next to us every single Sunday who were never allowed to be who they are and to live authentically. So thank you for your vulnerability and for sharing these really intimate parts of your life with us. As a
0: person who hasn't really found it to be a top priority for myself to integrate what I knew of my own queerness in my life, I have to say that I'm inspired by the people who are telling their stories here, and I'm really grateful that they've walked this path long before I did. And only recently have I discovered that representation is really important for me too. You'll hear all kinds of different stories from folks who grew up in different times and in slightly different ways, but with the same foundation of a fundamentalist, kind of (laughs) Christian-based belief system that told them they were shameful and wrong and bad and would probably end up going to hell. We, we are really great at throwing the sinner out with the sin water when we're talking about love the sinner, hate the sin, and shit like that. My hope for all of you
1: is that you can find empathy in your heart and that you can be just as grateful as we are. To all of these amazing people who shared their stories with us.
0: You're not gonna hear more from me and Meg and Lindsay for the rest of this podcast today. We'll be back tomorrow with another installment on the same topic in an interview that Lindsay, Meg, and I did with Meg's good friend Val.
1: Her story is really great because she embodied her queerness much later in life. And so, for all of you out there who
0: are late queer bloomers, I know there's a lot of us. What I am struck by in all of these stories is that commonality between folks of recognizing how their gayness conflicted with the doctrine that they were taught, the toxic theology that they were fed. What I love about every single one of these is the hope that we have when we watch other people break free of those expectations and who know that they have to be true to themselves to stay alive in a world that isn't always welcoming
2: to them. Hi, my name is Amanda. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm from Portland, Oregon. Where do I start with being queer in the church? Um, I knew I was queer from a young age, and I grew up in the Church of Christ. Um, I was told that the only way I could be a Christian and be queer was to basically renounce my queerness and just choose to be straight. I remember as a kid loving the parable of the mustard seed. I even had one of those like mustard seed necklaces. And I loved it so much as a child because I had this visual, right? Like if I just have this much faith, God can make me straight. And I would pray when I was a kid and a middle schooler and a teenager for God to just make me straight. I'm non-binary and pansexual, Although I didn't know those words when I was manifesting my straightness, I just thought if God could make me half straight, then God could make me full straight if He wanted to. And I prayed hard enough. I was told that we all had sin we could be redeemed from, but I didn't really understand why God would make me broken and then give me these verses that said I was fearfully and wonderfully made. I honestly and truly believed God made me queer because I, for some reason, didn't deserve his love as much as other Christians, and had to work twice as hard to prove myself to him. And I think it goes without saying that when I was older, I just decided to stop going to church altogether because I couldn't take it anymore. I hated myself so much and needed to survive. I know you asked about what it was like growing up, but I will say that Queer survival stories are really important, too, and I did survive toxic theology. Decades later, I was a new parent sitting on the couch with my son, who was only a few days old, not really a part of any faith practice at, at all. And I was sitting in our house, and no one was awake yet. It was just the two of us. I hadn't even turned on Schitt's Creek to keep myself company. I was just staring at my baby in complete silence and heard a voice loud and clear say, this is exactly how I love you. You are my baby too. There is nothing you can do to earn my love and there is nothing you can do to lose it. God was so clearly telling me, fuck the haters. I love you and I want you to love you too. And I'm really involved in my church and I love the people I go to church with. But oh my God, is it so hard to go to church still. The trauma like comes back Every time I'm driving there, walking in the doors, you know, and it's just this voice in my head that's like, oh, you know, the shoe is going to drop. They're going to tell you they don't love you. They're going to tell you. But, but, you know, but I really feel like I finally found a community of believers that Jesus wanted for me. A group of imperfect people living life together, feeding the hungry, clothing our neighbors, welcoming all of God's people. To show them the love that comes without conditions in the form of human connection, which is slowly but surely healing that little queer kid in me that grew up in the Church of Christ.
3: Hey, y'all. My name is Brett, and I'm coming to you from Wilmore, Kentucky. Growing up evangelical, especially in the South where the culture is so strong, uh, the pressure on kids is absolutely immense. I mean, it completely altered the trajectory of my life and even my career. Uh, It can really feel that your life isn't your own, especially if you're queer. Uh, I'm bisexual uh, and growing up evangelicalism has colored my uh, journey with my sexuality in ways I'm still discovering. Uh, My parents were were, and still are very active in the conservative, evangelical, and politically active church that I grew up in for most of my childhood. Uh, They tried their best, um, and I really do feel that they mean well. uh, But their parenting was just so colored uh, by the idea that their children's salvation was dependent on the way that they were raising them and the decisions that they were making every day. Uh, And it's hard not to feel that way when you grow up in a culture where, you know, you're oppressed by thoughts of the rapture and, you know, younger creationism, and you believe that angels and demons are walking among you every single day and having a real effect on you. Plus, my parents were very much influenced by the the Dobson parenting era. Uh, they're Gen Xers and they grew up in the 70s and the 80s and kind of Dobson's heyday. So my dad in particular, read Dobson, uh, and he was a church leader. So everything that I did kind of reflected on him. Uh, so therefore, I felt that I just had to be perfect, you know, perfect grades, perfect behavior. Uh, and I really internalized all that I desperately wanted to be perfect. Not only did I want to reflect well on myself and my dad and to be shown to be a strong Christian who was really, really following God's path, but I wanted to feel that connection with the Holy Spirit that I could see in other people in my church, like my peers and my parents and family members. But but deep down, I knew that something was holding me back and denying me my relationship with Christ that I really wanted. And I felt my actually just be denying me a spot in heaven, which was that I liked boys. Uh, that knowledge terrified me and shamed me and in many ways still does. Um, I felt wrong because no matter what other good I did, and I was a really good kid, ne- I never misbehaved. Um, I could not rid myself of that sin, uh, I, or what I perceived to be sin. I buried my sexuality deep down within me, uh, alternating between ignoring my my what are very natural feelings, and in any other environment would have been taught to me as so, or just begging God to heal me and rid me of it so that i could be closer to him it was just it was just really difficult and um i left that church as a teenager uh which was the hardest thing that i've ever done uh but i never looked back uh i had gotten disillusioned and honestly disgusted by the both covert and overt expressions of christian nationalism in that community uh and also at that point in time my childhood best friend had come out as gay um, and I didn't want to be anywhere that did not support him for who he was. But interestingly, I just could not apply that same logic to myself because my shame was so deeply ingrained. My parents were very, very reluctant to let me leave, but they finally agreed on the condition that I attended a different church with other friends. When it was finally time for me to go to college, um, I could have I really wanted to either attend, Uh, the U.S. Air Force Academy or one of the prestigious universities in the D.C. area, like uh, Georgetown or American, because I really wanted to be an attorney. And I felt like all my hard work was about to pay off because I'd had excellent grades and a lot of extracurriculars behind me. Uh, but my family was insistent that I attended a Christian school. Uh, and at the time, I, f- I felt like I really couldn't say no uh, because I had to honor my father and mother. And those teachings were so deeply ingrained in me. So I reluctantly headed over to Asbury University, which is less than a mile from the house that I grew up in. By my freshman year at AU, I really was aware consciously that I was by, but I was determined to keep it a secret and really just find a way to cure myself of it somehow. But to add insult to injury, I was now at a school where I was surrounded by kids my own age who seemed to have that exact kind of relationship with God that I had always wanted uh, but never could have. And my shame and my anxiety and my depression really only deepened. But however, there was a silver lining because I came to know a really amazing community at Asbury of, of queer people who were open about who they were. And for the first time, I really came to know people like me um, who not only were queer, but had grown up in the same evangelical subculture that I did. Um, they had all were de- They, a lot of them were deconstructing, uh, some were still deeply Christian and hadn't come out of that deeply Christian and some were agnostic or the dreaded atheists all were living authentically though. Absolutely authentically, um, at a school that on more than one occasion had, uh, ex ex gay, uh, speakers speak to our entire student body during chapel, um, and made us all sign an annual pledge to abstain from among other things sexual activity unless in the confines of heterosexual marriage. Their bravery was so beautiful. I was so inspired by their courage. And I finally, in that safe space, began the really long, slow journey of deprogramming myself from evangelicalism uh, and the internalized homophobia that I'd grown up with and coming out since then has been a difficult but really amazing journey and I've experienced nothing but love and acceptance from my friends who I'm so grateful for which just just was such a huge relief for me as far as my family you know they try their best but they ultimately believe that I've lost my way and that God can take away my queerness from me and free me if I only come back and really really ask him Uh, genuinely to do so. But that's okay. I don't know about God anymore. I'm still working all that out. But if there's one lesson from my childhood uh, that I learned, it's to be thankful for what you have. if if anybody remembers the Madam Blueberry episode of Veggie Tales that left a lasting impression on me, I have people in my life who love me for who I really am for the first time. And that's the best thing I've ever experienced. I just wanted to end by saying that I love y'all and you're doing amazing work. Your podcast makes a huge difference for people like me. And if this somehow makes it onto the show and you can hear me right now and you're dealing with religious trauma, uh, especially to my fellow queer evangelical kids, I just wanted to say that I love you. I'm proud of you. And I promise you it gets better and you will find that community. Thank you all so much.
4: I identify as queer, and my experience as a young child in the church has been one of receiving direct anger. They called it righteous rage, praying over me in an angry and aggressive manner. It was abusive, being told I am wrong, that I shouldn't be sexual until I am married to a man. As an adult, being shunned, and eventually literally being disowned by my family, having a restraining order put on my parents' property against my same-sex partner, reviewing threats about what would happen if that partner stepped onto my stepfather's property, my brother, offering to send me to a Christian gay rehab center, something that was in Texas, wanting to pay for it in full, but only if I promised to never see or talk to my same-sex partner again. I've been misunderstood and ostracized by my friends, church, and I've dealt with crippling internalized shame. So bad that I was put on a suicide watch and attempted to take my own life. I had a complete mental breakdown. I truly wish that I had been allowed to be a sexual creature, to have desires and attractions. Even if it wasn't only directed towards men, if I had been allowed, I feel like my life would have looked a lot different. I would have been less full of shame and absolute self-hatred. And I would not have felt so wrong and unlovable, even by God. To say it has taken its toll is a gross under-exaggeration. It has affected my life and my psyche to unravel the effects of it. Now that I'm 41, I'm finally making progress and gaining some traction.
5: My name is Ashley Nolke, and I am a transgender woman who grew up in the evangelical church. I use she, her pronouns. So growing up in the church as a transgender woman was a wild experience. I didn't really know that I was transgender growing up um, because I didn't really have the words or the vocabulary, and I didn't really feel like it was a safe thing. Like, I kind of always knew I had this feeling that I didn't feel congruent about my gender, and there were many times I can remember where things were confusing, but I kind of just did them because church feels like it just kind of crushed you to conform. That's a thing I feel like that comes out of a lot of a lot of these stories that you all tell. So I didn't actually know I was transgender, but I knew I wished I were a woman. And I definitely remember thinking that uh, everything would be easier if I had been a born a girl. And I can remember at one point right before puberty really hit hard. Like having a few nights in a row where I prayed that I would wake up a girl. I actually prayed that and didn't, didn't realize but i mean i also had no language like i didn't know what being transgender meant uh and when those prayers went unanswered i kind of just gave up and was pretty uh resigned to my fate to be a man some of the things that i think that the church did that made it feel unsafe to to come out as transgender was it it was never it never felt safe to have mental health problems Um, People who had mental health problems were looked down upon, like strongly. And so I kind of knew I had some stuff rattling around in my head, but didn't ever want to admit that I had any mental health problems, because that would mean admitting that I was bad or evil or whatever, because the way that the church treats mental health is absolutely messed up. Especially back in the day. So definitely growing up with shame about my mental health was a big thing. As I got older, I kind of had this voice in my head that was just screaming at me like, I hate you, you're wrong, like this isn't right. And it was just begging me to figure some things out, the ADHD and the the being trans. And so I um, ignored it. I shoved that down because I knew that it wouldn't be safe the church I grew up in was so incredibly homophobic. There were sermons that the pastor would talk about where like, we don't hate gay people, but we think that they'll burn in hell forever because of who they love, (laughs) like stuff like that. Or regularly there were sermons about how gay people were evil and deprived. Like that's not an uncommon thing to have heard in the church I grew up in. So kind of realizing like, oh, if, if you're different, like that's bad. I also got bullied a lot in in school, so I learned the lesson pretty early that if you're different or weird, like you're not going to fit in, and that's going to be pretty detrimental to your health. Combine that with this thing called RSD, or rejection-sensitive dysphoria, which is really common in people with ADHD, and you've got a pretty nasty set of circumstances that will push someone to conform to what everybody else thinks they should be just so that they'll not get rejected so i kind of did that i think there was a period of time earlier in my childhood before puberty where if i had had the right example and the right terminology i probably could have figured out i was transgender a lot earlier but because i didn't have the representation and because i didn't have the safety i never did but there is one interesting thing i think that kind of confirms this Most of the people that I knew back then that I have reconnected with who knew me when I was younger, but not after I got into like puberty and early adulthood, but I've reconnected with have all said, Oh yeah, I'm not surprised you turned out to be transgender. I surprised more of the people who knew me in my adolescence and early adulthood and probably, you know, up until I came out after I, um, Kind of prayed to God to make me a girl and he didn't. I kind of was resigned to my fate. That's like, oh, I guess I'm stuck as a man. And so I leaned in. I leaned in so hard and I tried to de- be and do all of these masculine things that weren't really who I was, which was not excellent. And as I got older and older and older, I found my mental health was getting worse and worse and worse. And I just kept trying to run and run and run and run from it until I couldn't anymore. The pandemic had happened. I had a kid. And then I turned 30, and it's like something broke inside of me. I'd kind of already been on my journey of deconstruction before that. After I turned 30, I kind of went through this, what I'm calling the Great Reckoning, where I kind of was like, I don't know who I am, and that really scares me. I remember looking in the mirror and actually saying to myself, who am I? Who is this person that's standing in front of me looking in the mirror because I don't know them and I don't know who I am and I am starting to feel more and more distant from my experience in life Cause, because I had kind of done all the things I was supposed to do so this kind of goes back in with the, the leaning into the masculinity or the uh, strong leader and all of that stuff and I was never very good at it I could fake it I guess well enough to get married and have a wife who was never happy with me <laughs> that kind of came to light in my marriage that i really wasn't this big strong leader that she thought i was um like oftentimes i can remember every time we'd get in a fight she'd be like i just want you to like be the man and i feel like i'm always arguing with the girl oops it's because she was yeah our marriage didn't survive the, the transition, which is unfortunate, but we still have uh, one beautiful child as a result of that. And I feel like we actually co-parent better divorced than we did when we were together. So that all is good and settled. So I had really leaned in and I finally got to the point where I didn't know who I was and turned 30, had the pandemic happen, I couldn't run anymore both metaphorically and literally because of that because of the pandemic i couldn't like go just do social gatherings i couldn't um overwork because my wife would come in at the time i was supposed to quit and be like hey can you take the baby and i would have to you know stop working because overworking and um and all of that were ways that i had coped Another thing I couldn't do anymore was get super trashed all the time because I had a child. And I don't know if you've ever tried to raise a newborn, but being drunk and raising a newborn doesn't go well. <laughs> so I started to look inwards and be like, well, okay, what's going on here? Why Why do I feel this way? Who, who am I really? Let's get to the bottom of that. And the first thing that came out of as a result of that was, I'm agnostic. I don't believe in God anymore. And then immediately after that, all of the gender thoughts came flooding back, and I immediately found myself realizing like, oh yeah, that, I had completely forgotten about that intentionally. I think I kind of realized like, oh, that's part of what my brain was screaming about. Because my adult experience can largely be summed up with cognitive dissonance. I lived in so much cognitive dissonance, cognitive dissonance about my beliefs about science and the Bible, cognitive dissonance about my gender, cognitive dissonance about how the people in the church treated gay people, and things like that. And so once I finally let go of that, I suddenly was able to deal with that and reckon with that and realize like, oh, I got some soul searching to do here. And so then I did this soul searching, realized, like, yeah, actually, I'm a woman. This was all, this whole, like, man thing was a farce. I might have been okay at faking it enough to make people believe it, but I'm not actually all that good at it. And so coming out to my family actually took a pretty long time after I had realized. But I lived really close to my parents, and so I was kind of like, yeah, I probably just better talk to them since I will see them Decently regularly. That was really hard. My dad immediately tried to convince me not to transition, which is at that point, it's like obviously like BS. I've thought about this a whole bunch. I've struggled with a lot of these feelings my entire life. And then immediately after that, he asked me, So what does this mean for your faith? To which I told him, I don't believe in God anymore. And I think that might have actually been more difficult for my parents than hearing I was transgender. I kind of left that day not really sure where things were going to go. We kind of decided we were going to not. We were just going to take a couple of weeks and digest all of that. And when we came back together next, my dad and mom basically said, like, we love you and care about you. We don't agree with what you're doing, but uh, we don't want you to leave our lives. So we've kind of been in this weird limbo state, I guess I'll say, ever since. So. Yeah, it's a work in progress. I'm glad that they didn't just straight up yeet me out of their life because that's what I thought they were going to do. But it's been pretty lukewarm and it's been a lot of work on my end having to walk them the baby steps to get them where I want them to go. But they've been steadily making progress so maybe there's hope. Some ways that I never really felt safe in the church was that everybody kind of had this idea of of masculinity and manhood that didn't leave a lot of room for my existence. I was a really sensitive kid, I cried a lot, like everything made me cry. And so this idea of masculinity, that like you were this big tough man that didn't cry at anything, Unless you were like straight up like it was like your wife dying or a parent dying or something like that. Like just did not fit. I eventually forced myself to make that fit by just shoving my feelings down. Yes, very healthy. So there's kind of that. There's also the range of emotions that you are allowed to feel as a man is very limited. It feels like it's joy in the Lord or your family and anger and righteous anger. Not a lot in between. And so that didn't feel great for me, and uh, I certainly also didn't feel safe about, like, anything queer or gay in my church. Like, the insult that the other church boys threw around was literally a slur. I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. It starts with an F. But worse than that, they would add things to the front of it to make it worse. I unfortunately also threw that insult around to fit in. Because I didn't want to get picked on and I didn't want to feel like I'd get rejected. And because of the RSD, I kind of dug in and bought the lie, even though it didn't really fit and jive well with my brain. So as I got older and older, I had more and more cognitive dissonance about that, but just kind of kept digging in because I felt like this was the thing I had to do to be accepted. And so, like, the, the church, church was really easy in one regard, and that it was just a set of rules that you had to follow, and if you followed these rules, you were golden. That aspect of it felt really easy to me, and my brain really liked it. So, I'd study the Bible, I'd learn all the rules, and I would try and scrupulously follow the rules. Which, this is, I guess, where my experience differs from a lot of probably neurotypical people and especially men in the church where I feel like they kind of cherry pick the rules a lot and decide that like oh some of these rules are more in spirit or whatever like especially about like sex and drinking like up until I actually was old enough to drink I was I did a few times but always felt this horrible guilt afterwards because I had broken the rules Because, uh, don't let yourself be filled with alcohol, but the Holy Spirit, or something like that. I forget where what verse that is, but that was something that was definitely thrown around in my church a lot. Additionally, like with sex, I kind of always felt like it was my responsibility to not take things too far. And then when I would break the rules, I would feel this crushing guilt that I had broken the rules, probably because. I was struggling with the fact that I might get rejected. My brain didn't like that I had broken the rules. Like, yeah, I was a kind of a goody two shoes for the most part. Um, And so anytime I would break a rule, I'd be racked with this horrible guilt and shame. Um, One of the other aspects about the church that I also think is so insidious and definitely helped trap me was how they viewed mental illness and things like that. Independence on medication and things like that, because I for sure had ADHD, still do, and now I'm actually medicated, and it does me so much good. I feel so much better now that I'm medicated, but back in my church days, I would have been terrified to get any medication. I would have been like mortified because being dependent on medication god forbid is like the worst thing that could possibly happen to you or at least it felt like it so like the attitude was always like yeah i guess it's okay if you need medication because you really really need it because otherwise you'll literally go insane without it but barring like not going insane like it's totally taboo like I had a youth pastor that would get fillings without Novocaine because he didn't want to ingest the drugs to to dull his pain. Like getting fillings without Novocaine, that's got to be so painful or like you really shouldn't have that. Like you should just be praying hard enough. You're clearly like if you have mental health problems, it's a huge moral failing on your part. And that's why you're struggling with mental health problems. So as I started to develop mental health problems, I largely tried to ignore it and would dissociate. So I got into my adulthood and mostly just dissociated my feelings away. And that's how I dealt with gender dysphoria and all of the anxiety and depression that comes with ADHD. But so much of my experience lines up well with y'all's experience of it, which is, I guess, just kind of wild because I was definitely socialized male like a man because i was born a man or not born a man i was born a baby you're born a baby not born a man or a woman but i was socialized male because of you know my genitalia essentially and like even if i had realized i um know i wouldn't have been safe about church that really caused me to struggle to deal with who I was into adulthood because I had been shamed into and guilted into being this thing I wasn't and then told that if I did that that's what would make me happy. So I tried, I really tried. I found a Christian girl. I've got a good career. I've got the white picket fence, I've got the wife, I've got the the, the kid, the dog, and I am miserable and I feel so empty. Like, what must be wrong with me? And I think I feel I felt those feelings for a couple of years. And they just got worse and worse and worse as, as I got older. And I realized after I had kind of come out and started to reconcile with myself that I felt so much better. I didn't have this voice in the back of my head screaming, I hate you, you're wrong, I hate you. And I kind of realized that um, that like denying myself for who I was and chasing the things that I was told I was supposed to, that were supposed to fill me up and be like kind of the the things that made me happy was wrong. I was told the wrong things, (laughs) like especially for me. And now that I had, had stopped doing that, like I felt better. I feel better now.
1: Thanks for joining us today for a special episode where we could share coming out stories. We are Holy Ghosting. Holy Ghosting is a same team media production. Music by Weep Bar. AP Weber produced the show. Thanks for joining us. And if you miss us in between shows, you can find us on socials, posting almost every day at Holy Ghosting Pod, Instagram and TikTok.